0: Who is Coach Mike? Coach Mike, very nice guy. He's a good softball coach. He's sincere. He's the dumbest smart guy I've ever known. Upbeat, optimistic, good-natured, always looking on the bright side of things. Wow, thank God he didn't say that I had a face for radio. But then what do you expect for $5 these days? Just can't hire good help. Hey, in all seriousness aside, stay tuned for the Weed Whacker Podcast. Where I will be discussing almost any subject and bringing in guests to hash out and get rid of all the weeds. We're going to clear the path for your success in whatever it might be you need, your life, your business, your politics, your religion. We're going to bring it all right here to the Weed Whacker. (laughs) Again, that means it's time for the Weed Whacker. Weed Whacker podcast is here to help you clear a path to your success. We're going to get the weeds out of your lives. Everybody knows what a weed eater is or what a weed whacker is, right? But Coach Mike is here to help you do that. And we're going to have a collection of guests and different subjects over each episode. I hope you check it out. We're on Spotify. We're on iHeart. And hopefully more than that. And uh, let's see what we can do to help you succeed. Today's Weed Whacker, I have a special guest, a good friend of mine I met a few years back through Toastmasters. I've so many people through Toastmasters, but this one is a special guest because she does so many things out there. And her whole thing is about helping people. And that's sort of we have the same kind of purpose. We believe that God has a purpose for our lives. And that's what we do. So I'm going to let her tell you her story Welcome to the Weed Whacker, Doctor Jackie McCool. Jackie, good to have you.
1: Thank you, Coach Mike. I do believe that every single one of us have a unique divine purpose and reason for being here on this earth. You know, back about twenty-seven years ago, I was living my life for about twenty years in the bar rooms, day in and day out, or should I say, night in and night out into the wee hours of the morning, that was my life. And I remember being frustrated about what kind of a career, what was God calling me to do? And I didn't even know who God was at the time, but what what was I supposed to be doing with my life? And at that point I was about 36, almost 37 years old and just kind of job hopping and not really knowing why was I doing what I was doing? Why was I living, why what purpose did I have? And one night I was shooting pole in a women's league in a bar. And that was the last night I ever had a drink. Of course, I didn't know that when I walked in that door that night that that was gonna be the last time. People ask if there was any kind of major thing that occurred in my life you know, that brought me to that point. And there really wasn't, except that I was just thoroughly disgusted with my life. I mean, truly, I would wake up many mornings hungover, of course, but not even remembering what I said or did the night before. I called in work, sick at least once a month. I had fortunately graceful employers that never called me out on it. And I woke up that morning late for work. i realized that as I was driving to work thinking I was an hour late and I was two hours late and I thought, oh, what's the point? And I turned around, went back home and told myself, that's it. I'll never drink again. But that's so much easier said than done for most people and myself included at the time. And until the hangover wore off and then I was back at it again. I forgot all about saying that was it. I'll never drink again. But for whatever reason, and I know, Coach Mike, that this was God. This was a God thing. I was brought up Catholic. I certainly believe uh, in Jesus Christ and the Holy Trinity and that Christ died on the cross and rose from the grave and for my sins and went to heaven and and all of that. But other than that, I I didn't know any or give any credence more beyond that. And it, it wasn't until after the fact that I was able to look back and go, it was totally God that did that. There's... No way I did that on my own. And here's how I know it is because I have never had a desire for a drink or a cigarette since then. Wow. I, I, I hear what breaks my heart is I hear a lot of people <laughs> saying, I live every day fighting this battle. It's a struggle, but I'm not giving in. I am in favor of gray ears or whatever, and it's a struggle for them. And I, I truly believe that if they really turn that over to God, that that might be different. We can't do anything in our own power, but with God, all things are possible.
0: Well, Jackie, I got a couple of thoughts, but you said numbers. First thing I want to know, and believe me, I guess if I had been lived in North Carolina a long time ago, instead of California or Arizona, we would have been shooting pool together somewhere, because I love to shoot pool. I, I haven't done it a long time now, but me and my buds, we got out of high school, we used to hang out at a Golden 8 in uh, Phoenix there, and with the big Not the bar tables, but the bigger tables, Mm -hmm. and the owners. We were there every weekend. We we weren't drinking. We weren't old enough to drink yet, but the owners would give us extra time because we were always there. But then eventually, I got into the bar tables, and there was a bar I used to go to in Phoenix. It was like a family bar. You could take your kids Mm -hmm. in there, and so. But a couple things strike stick out at me based on your story there. First, I want to ask you. What about that night? You said that was the last night you didn't know it. Now, were you when you? Okay, we all get drunk different. I've only been drunk a few times in my life. And luckily, that's not my my gambling was more my twice, right? How many times did you sort of feel you were going that way, and you were saying, you know, I got to give up the, I got to give this up? And what changed that one night?
1: I, I had said that many many times before, especially probably over the last few years of that time because I was again just so thoroughly disgusted with my life um, that I was waking up hungover and not remembering things I did the night before. I remember shortly probably two months before I quit drinking or I really say God delivered me from it because I I just didn't do it but the, the last time I had a drink but probably two months before that I, and and Mike, I was in, in living in the the D.C. area, the suburbs of D.C. and Maryland when, when I quit drinking, and so I never have been drunk since I've lived in North Carolina. But we went. I was with a group of people, and we we had rented a bus, and we we went on a ski trip up into Pennsylvania, and it was a big to do, big party bus, and we were drinking little shooters of mixed, I don't even know what they were, these little shooter drinks. And I was plastered before the bus even got on the Beltway in D.C. And I spent all this money for the ski package and meals and all that. I had no appetite when I, you know, in the time to eat. I didn't even feel like eating. I was so drunk. I barely skied because I was it was just miserable. But a couple of weeks or, no, I guess it was probably a week after that, I remember going to the bathroom and my urine was like orange and I thought this can't be good. <laughs> this, uh, this does not, this is not good. So there really, there was many times I would be driving home from the bars boohoo and probably because you know, there was some guy I was interested in, but he was interested in some girl, you know, and, <laughs> I mean, it was just terrible. and, and you know, crying out. To God. That, that that happens. That happens when we're sober too, though. <laughs> uh, crying out to God and and saying that's it. I'm never drinking again. And so honestly, that night was really a, a very normal okay. <laughs> night. There was nothing special that night any more than any other night it was just a collection of those times and that's why again i say that it was god and i i, I can't wait to get to heaven and meet him someday face to face so that i can ask him i mean he probably can answer me now if i did ask him but the <laughs> question was why you know why then why, so <laughs> why, why that time yeah. and so that was a very pivotal point in my life that was like you know a whole nother season a whole nother lifetime ago and I found myself going down this great big positive cleanup path of my mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual health. And it's funny at the time I thought that was my own unique New Age philosophy, only to learn that that's just like a normal philosophy for current, you know, holistic health. But I got some family counseling for myself, and I started doing some volunteer work at a nursing home and. Now there's a great big social void in my calendar because I wasn't going to the bars and it's 10 o'clock at night. And I'm like, okay, what do people do at 10 o'clock at night? <laughs> uh, Sleep. <laughs> you know, how about you go to bed? And I mean, I didn't know the TV shows or anything because I just never watched TV, you know, the nighttime shows. And I joined the gym and, and actually – made my not made myself, but that was a plan was to get up early and go to the gym early before I went to work. And I, I didn't have to be into work until 10 or 11. I think it was and worked a little bit later. But so it wasn't too hard to do. Um, and so all these positive things started changing my eating. And that, I, I just envisioned it was just so good that I joined a, I joined what they called a ski club, which really was a social club. They did all kinds of activities, hiking and biking and things like that. And I joined them, this group and just to do social things and bought a bike and did some bike trips, a bike trip or two with them. And then I learned about a, a hiking club and I joined this hiking club then, and they pretty much hiked on Sundays and so, of course, I still wasn't going to church at that time. But the funny thing was, the I, I, I committed to the pole leg, the women's team. After I quit drinking, I didn't want to bail out on them. I, I didn't. They would have lost the, the season then. And so, I mean, not because I was good, good but huh? because they, <laughs> because they, they were short sure one person. They would have had a, a no, You're default. all right, Jake. You're all right. And... I was talking with one girl that was a friend of mine and and I asked what she was doing that weekend and she said she was going to a women's retreat. And I was like, okay, well, let me do that too. That'll just be another thing I'll add into this whole holistic cleanup thing I was doing for myself. It was really great. And the only thing I knew about retreats and I had not even ever attended a retreat, but in my mind, I pictured monks and peace and tranquility and no talking. (laughs) That's all I knew with my Catholic upbringing. And it was a Methodist church and went to this women 's retreat, and there were all these tissue boxes sitting around it, it, in the conference room, and I thought, what the heck's that all about? Well, these ladies there shared their testimonies just as i 'm doing today. They shared their testimonies, and it was amazing. They had been in prison and prostitutes and abortion and you know drugs and alcohol and you name it, and God got a hold of their lives and turned their lives around and i 'm telling you. I am a testimonial fool to this day that I just love testimonies. I love sharing my own testimony. I love hearing testimonies. And those were major seeds planted in my heart of what God can do with somebody's life. But I was busy hiking on Sundays, so I didn't go to this church very often until the end of the year, that year. And the ironic thing is, is that I had an argument with my dad at Christmas time in Pennsylvania, and I went back home to Maryland and went to church that Sunday morning, the, at, December ninth, 1996. And the pastor was always asking people if they wanted prayer for things to come up to the altar. And so I went up for prayer for the argument I had with my dad. And it was the pastor himself that then came to me that particular morning and said, have you ever accepted Jesus Christ into your heart? And I said, no, when you put it that way, he would share the salvation message before, but I was like, yeah, I believe in Jesus and I repent to my sins and all of that. But whenever he presented it to me that way, I said, no, I, I have never done that. Would you like to? And yes. And so I committed my life. I surrendered to Jesus Christ for him to be control of my life, not the bar rooms, not the alcohol, not other people, not even myself. He's in control of my life. And so that was, that was a real pivotal point as well. And then I started praying about career change because I still didn't know what my purpose was and still wanted to do something different. And I was working for a new homes builder and it was a good job, and but it, it was a job. It felt like not really a career. <laughs> And one of the tools that I put into my toolbox as far as my holistic health was I got under chiropractic care and met a chiropractor at the gym. And all I knew about chiropractic was back and neck pain and chiropractic care is about way more than that. I did not know that at the time he invited me to a health talk and I went and like, Yeah, give me that too. Let's get that chiropractic care. And he kept encouraging me to become a chiropractor knowing I was looking to make career change. And now I'm a new baby christian I'm keeping a prayer journal asking God do I leave do I move the state do i what do I change jobs do I go back to school what do I do and one morning I was brushing my teeth I always remember that and thinking why not chiropractic who knows what doors it'll open for me and I can incorporate whatever I want into my practice so I went on to chiropractic school in 1998. I had some prereqs to do at Greenville Tech, South Carolina, and went to Sherman College in Spartanburg, South Carolina. started that in 1999. And I was there for about almost four years, counting the the prereq time. And then I set up practice in Charleston, South Carolina for 10 years. And it was a financial faith walk for 10 years (laughs) on how I was going to pay the bills. But God provided. It was just like, The money coming in never matched the money going out, but God provided. Sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, and then I finally moved to Western North Carolina to work for another chiropractor, which was a horrible, horrible working experience. I left after four months and ended up managing a little health food store. And I ended up working for the health food stores for about three years, which is then what brought me to Hickory, North Carolina then there's was, there was more to the well, story.
0: Uh, but- before we go, before <laughs> we go to that, Jake, I want to go back a little bit because for two reasons. Number one, I see so many similarities between our paths, our, our career paths, so to speak. Uh, I've had a number of jobs and I'm supposed to be this really smart guy, at least that's what they told me through high school and when I bombed out of college initially and everything else. And at some point down the road, probably in the 90s, 80s, 90s, but it would start to bother me, you know, because we had a we had a guy at our church in California worked for 3M for like 40 years, I think, before he finally retired. And my dad was a contract plumber for years and years and years. And it was my good friend and mentor in Toastmasters, uh, Jack Nichols. One time told me, he said, Mike, some people have 30 years of experience at one job. Mm -hmm. You've got one year of experience at 30 jobs, it still equals Mm -hmm. 30 years of experience. Yeah. You know, so you still got there. But now, the other thing I want to go back even farther, Jackie. And just what I'm picking up from what you're telling me, it seems to me, and maybe this had something to do, I don't know if you've ever thought about what got you started. On the drink, but it seems to me like you were I don't know if you were lonely or what, but it seems like you were searching for some friendship or something there, you know, like you were missing something. Obviously we we're missing God at times, but mm-hmm. even on a human nature, look to me it sounds, sort of seems like you were looking for something that wasn't there. Love in all the wrong things. The <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. What <laughs> do you, what do you recall? Is there was there something? Was there a hurt? I mean, you don't have to go into details, but was there was there something that triggered that? Where maybe you could say, "Yeah, I didn't drink that much," and then all of a sudden I did.
1: I think it probably, like a lot of women, it and maybe men as well. It was a matter of self worth. My dad was not, and my mom really wasn't either. And uh, my dad certainly wasn't a very affectionate, positive, encouraging kind of person. Okay. My brothers and I used to laugh that. If we put our left foot first, we'd get smacked upside the head and it should have been our right. You know, we <laughs> could never make the right decision. Okay. And I still sadly will hear his voice at times criticizing me for something stupid I've done. But um so I, I think it was probably low self-esteem that contributed to that. Okay. And you know, again, dad was was pretty negative, critical, put down. And even if it had been balanced out with the positive, it wasn't until I was about 37 years old that I heard him say, I love you for the first time. Wow. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, really alcohol, the the first drink I had was with friends on the neighborhood girls uh, that, you know, we all hung out together, we'd build cabins and stuff like that. And as we got older, you know, we snuck liquor from the parents' cabinets and, Got drunk. I was on my way to swim practice, but you know, didn't make that uh, because I got drunk. And so that it wasn't like there was any kind of major trauma. Probably just collectively, chronically. Um, You smelled like can't get out with the crowd. Peer pressure. I, I, you know, I don't know. I and honestly, I don't know that it was the alcohol as much that I was addicted to. Although I'm sure that I was. But it was also the social part that that FOMA fear of missing out. Sure. Sure. Uh, I had to be the last person to leave the bar room every night. Okay. And and unfortunately, in another bar, I was running a, a pole league for the bar owner, a mixed league. I ran that league and all my drinks were free. All my ah. cigarettes were free. <laughs> even, a, even a burger was free and my pool games were free talk about enabling you know sure. and then i was friends of course with the bar owner and the employees and they didn't party until after it was closing time at two o'clock and so then i hung around and because i was going to miss something so i couldn't leave until they were done wow. and it would be four or five six o'clock in the morning at times you know that before i got home so yeah, it was just a collection of things sure.
0: well, uh, all, all together yeah. I think was the I used to gamble. I still gamble occasionally. I'll play the lottery or something. I mean, I don't do it like I used to. I used to love the dog races in Arizona, which are illegal there now. And and dog races, dog racing is almost gone. Which, what a shame. But uh, uh, that's another show I could talk about. But I I, years ago, and, and by the way, I could share. I think what you were talking about with the way your dad was with you, I think that was a collection of the way parents were in the fifties and, and yes, because that too. My dad was you know, he did a lot for me. But mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. it was it would he would tell me that I was capable of doing this, but it was never mm-hmm. always it was always like I heard more about what I messed up than what I didn't. Mm-hmm. And it was yes. sort of like a customer service thing I learned years later that says, one oh, crap wipes out a whole bunch of attaboys. Yes. And, and yeah. one big one I remember that we laughed about when I, my first wife and I had decided we were going to run off and get married one night in the spur of the moment. And I was trying to talk my way out of it. It's, that's a whole story I'll share with you sometime. But I, my last gasp at that was, I got to go tell my dad because I was living at home at the time. I said, I can't just take off, you know. So I went home and woke my dad up. He was a contract plumber. So he had to get up early in the morning. I woke him up about 12.30, 1 o'clock in the morning or something like that. And I said, Dad, we're going to take off and get married. First thing I was he looked at me and said, you're stupid. and boy if that didn't shut me down for the moment it was like I can't make another decision now what to do (laughs) there's a a whole story that goes with that but I think you with your drinking and my gambling I'm the person my grandpa had me drinking when I was 5 years old my grandpa would Mm -hmm. give us little things of beer and we'd sip it my great grandpa would tell us not to stick our nose in the glass you know so it was never a serious thing but gambling I liked I was always competitive, so I think gambling was my drinking. And mm-hmm. I actually one time when things were going a little tough, I actually went to a gambler's anonymous meeting in Phoenix. And I'm sitting there hearing these people sitting there, Oh, I lost a hundred thousand dollars, oh I lost my house, I did this and that, and I couldn't relate to it. Mm-hmm. You know, and it wasn't until years later, my pastor at our church in in California said, "Mike, you didn't lose a hundred thousand dollars because you didn't have a hundred thousand dollars. Maybe, okay. I would. I don't think I would have. I think that blows my mind. But I hear your mm-hmm. story too, and I, I, you know, it's easy for somebody that hasn't gone through your path to sit there and say, wow, I would never get drunk.' You know, in high school, he used to, he used to not just bother me, but I always thought it was weird how the guys, oh, we're going to go out and get drunk tonight. I said, that's fun. I mean, I like to have a drink, but I I don't like to get drunk. I've done it a few times. I don't like it. But Mm -hmm. everybody has a different tolerance or a different uh, motivation or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So the fact that you had to come in with the the deeper the sin, we got more grace. We get a little more, we know there's a bigger movement there, but whatever it is, God can reach down and and solve whatever we've got going. He obviously Mm -hmm. did for you.
1: Yes. Yes. He did. And so, yeah, I was, you know, at the altar and, and committed my life to Christ and ended up in a whole different uh, career direction. I, Worked ended up working for a women's ministry when I moved to North Carolina. So the health food stores were in between my practice, then the health food stores, and then this women's ministry. But my heart and passion for health and wellness and holistic health and wellness had never left me. And along those lines of drinking, the, the women's ministry, part one arm of the ministry was an addiction recovery program and I had the opportunity to teach my health and wellness class to those ladies. Oh. And you had asked me before we started the show of what really am I passionate about that I see people doing that I wanna go, no, <laughs> if only you knew the truth. And with those that are in recovery, and this might, maybe, maybe, I don't know, because I, I just thought of this just now is that, I certainly wasn't the perfect eater, but I definitely made changes to my eating habits shortly after I quit drinking and because I was going to the gym and just made changes all the way around. And maybe that had a positive contribution to me not desiring alcohol, but sugars are very addictive and we all love sugars. And the best of us love sugars. And if we had to admit that it was addicting, we would have to admit that we were less than, you know, in our our eyes, that's not true. But, you know, that's how it would feel. And, and it's not just sugars, but it's things that turn to sugar, the carbs, the empty carbs, the crackers and pastas and breads, and those kind of things that, that turn to sugar if we're not burning them off. And, and it triggers the addictive pathway in our brain. And the brain doesn't go, oh, this pathway is just for sugar, and you're not sugar, so we won't trigger the addictive pathway in the brain because you're not on the sugar path. You're not on the sugar highway. You're on the pasta highway. Alcohol, it's alcohol, all one highway. alcohol is sugar. Alcohol? Absolutely. Alcohol is sugar, Absolutely. yeah.
2: Absolutely.
1: Yep. And so it's all one path, and it's not just alcohol, but it's drugs and even gambling. It's anything that's addictive. There's your serotonin and dopamine and other brain chemicals that, um, balance or trigger, or when they're out of balance, trigger these different things. So, you know, the the addiction, regardless of what it is, really is is a disease, like diabetes is a disease, addiction is a disease of the brain. But in my opinion, just like anything else, diabetes or otherwise, those things can be reversed. Our chronic degenerative diseases... Autoimmune conditions, even the you know that the addictions, things like that, they can be reversed when addressed properly. And you know, AA is very famous, from what I'm told. Uh, surprisingly, I never even had to go to anything like that. But from what I'm told, AA really promotes, of course, they're like smoke the cigarettes, smoke the cigarettes. Anything to keep you from that addictive pathway, (laughs) wanting alcohol, just want anything else. And they feed sugars. Oh, wow. They have all kinds of empty carb sugars and sodas and stuff like that at those meetings. Exactly for that purpose.
0: Wow, Jackie, I picked on my wife a little bit. We're both doing uh, some Systems now. We want to get our weight down. I had gotten it down with Nutrisystems. It well, works great. Food's good. But then little by little, it was creeping up. And then I started working at the soda company as my because I was doing physical stuff. It was coming down. But now I, when I injured my rotator cuff, now I can't work again. I said, I got to do this again for a while. And she was complaining. I mean, she, my wife isn't. That overweight, she wouldn't like to lose some pounds. I said, Look, do the nutri mm-hmm. systems, but guess what? She has to have every morning. And I used to be an addict for this too. She's got to put some Hershey's chocolate in her milk. <laughs> and then she goes, Gee, I only lost one pound. And, Gee, I wonder why, Dane. <laughs> mm-hmm. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, it's not about the points. I'm, I'm I, I, Unfortunately, A lot of the weight loss companies are about points. Um, It's not about the nutrients. And that's one of the myths and truths that I share in my my book that will be out this fall on the truths about health and wellness. But um, we need the right nutrients in our body. Jackie, have
0: have you ever been challenged? since you gave up drinking maybe ran right into an old friend or somebody you know, or maybe they didn't know your path and come on jackie let's come out to that party night did you ever you ever had to deal with that
1: not really you know early on i realized that my friends really weren't friends they were drinking partners drinking buddies you know that was the only thing we had in common sadly for the most part i, I have some friends that that are still my friends that, you know, we drank together, but we did other things as well as friends. But now, I mean, I'm sure I went to some parties shortly after and just didn't drink. I I hate to hear when people do that. And with food again, same thing going back to so here's these ladies in a recovery program, year long residential recovery program. I'm teaching them about health and wellness. They're doing real well with moving their lives forward and very holistically. Christ is the center of their lives as well. And then it comes graduation time or or their birthday comes up and these their volunteer, their mentor brings them this great big, huge cake. Oh, it's because I love them. I'm like, stop. <laughs> and it, and it's, well, what you know, it's not that easy. What yeah, Exactly. And that, now I have had that more with more with food than I have with alcohol of people going, oh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Come on. It's just a little bit. Don't worry that everybody else is. I have had it more with food. Than I ever recall. Were you
0: were you very overweight back in your drinking days and everything? No, I wasn't. I I was no, not at all. I know you're a fitness Um, person. You, you, I can't picture you that way, especially you know your big goal that you love to tell us about at Toastmasters is your. Have you hiked the whole Appalachian Trail now, or you still got something to do?
1: I have 330 miles left to do. I somehow that came onto my bucket list. And I want to say it was maybe around the time I quit drinking. And I I remember with that hiking club in Maryland, we did a loop hike, for example, and part of the hike that we did crossed onto the Appalachian Trail briefly. And that might have been the first I even became aware of the Appalachian Trail. So perhaps it came on my bucket list after, but in any regard, When I was in chiropractic school, there was a friend in school, she was getting ready to graduate, she was a year ahead of me, and she was doing a through hike. Now through hike is when somebody gets on the trail, typically, they do it all kinds of ways, but typically in Georgia, and hikes the whole trail up to Maine is where it ends. And they take about five months or so on average for some people have done it very fast, some do it longer, but on average, four to five months, and they take that time and hike the whole trail. I never really had that opportunity of time in my younger life to just take off from whatever I was doing school or work or whatever for four or five months. Now she was studying for her boards while she was on the trail. I'm not that smart.
0: Took her over with
1: her. (laughs) (laughs) She was really smart, but I told her, I said, Oh, I've always wanted to do that. I'll join you on my three week summer break. Well, I bought all the gear and borrowed some of it initially, but bought a lot of gear and, got on the trail, and after one week, I'm like, I'm out of here. I was crying every day. I'm like this is, My pack was 55 pounds when I had water, and most of the time I was without water, so it was about 50 pounds, wow. you know, how hard, way too heavy. How hard
0: is the Appalachian Trail? Is it is it difficult? It's very difficult.
1: Oh, yeah. It is difficult, and like one of my hiking partners said, if it was easy, everybody would do it. Sure. <laughs> We, you know when you go yeah some parts are easier than others but it none of it's easy it's all challenging I mean, is there some
0: difficult climbing parts or is it all Could the average person oh, do doing- it
1: oh, oh there's there's climbs you know I, So I came off after a week and that was in 2000 and then I was still living in South Carolina well yeah I was in South Carolina that year 2009, I was still in South Carolina and a friend said, come on, let's get you back out here for a long weekend. My pack was about 42 pounds, much better, but still heavy. (laughs) We went for a long weekend and it was better. Um, But then I moved to North Carolina, Western North Carolina, and I learned that the Appalachian Trail, the closest part's a little over an hour away from my house. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is right here. And somehow I had learned that you can section hike it do it in pieces. And so it was in two thousand thirteen that I had committed to section hiking the trail. But the the year in two thousand nine when I went out with my friend that said, Oh come on, we gotta do this again, it was six miles uphill oh, wow. in the rain. Oh. You know, it was a six mile climb. Not all of them are six mile climbs, but that's just an example. And now it's not the hardest part of the trail. Okay. <laughs> I up in the White Mountains of New Hampshire, I I and some other places as well, but I would have to be on all fours and I'd have this 30 pound pack on my back and that's not hiking anymore. That's mountain climbing, but you either I'm committed to doing it. And so I do it. I'm not happy about it, but I do it. And you're, I, this, it, close. And I make
0: you're this close. You got to finish Jackie. Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, I will now. And, and I, I have, well, the last climb, the very last ascent will be challenging, but when I have, I've hiked a lot of it by myself. So for women, um, it's again, Jesus is with me. So I am not alone by any means. That might sound cliche, but it is so, so true. And there's only one time that I recall thinking to myself, and I was just doing a day hike up in Mount Mitchell. And I thought, I'm just not feeling good about hiking by myself today. I feel like something can happen not really even people or animals, but an accident. And I've had several of my own. I know in an instant something can happen. And so I just listened. I felt like it was God talking to me on that. And so I just let it go and, you know, ended the hike that day. But I'm not alone. I'm with him. And then I've had hiking partners as well. And I really do like to have hiking partners when I know that I'm going to be coming up onto something that's all fours and (laughs) that type of thing. Well, you, know, you, never know what could happen. you never know what could happen. No, well, I broke my leg on the trail. Did you really? And, mm-hmm, and, and uh, another time before that, had tripped and fell and hit my head and ended up with two big shiners.
0: So. You know, I was just thinking about going to do some hiking, Jackie. Now you're scaring <laughs> me away from it, you know. Jackie, <laughs> I'm sleeping in the woods all by
1: myself. Oh, you know?
0: <laughs> Jackie, I know... And you know, I agree with you. A lot of people think, Oh, it's those Christians or it's cliche or whatever. But you know, I wrote my book about I'm still here after I had my heart attack. Mm-hmm. And I thought back to the times of my life where, you know, I totaled a Porsche nine fourteen when I was about twenty years old or twenty one or whatever. Uh twenty I forget. But uh I totaled a 914, put in a ditch with my best friend, and neither one of us really had a scratch on us. I had my mm-hmm. heart attack. I had other things. My friend Paul had been changing a flat tire on the side of the freeway, and a car rammed into him. And if he had been changing other t- any other tire but the one he had, he wouldn't be here today. Mm-hmm. So I know that You fit in my book. i got to probably do a second edition along the way because I've never been blackout drunk. My kind of drunk is I have a couple of beers and I fall asleep, okay, for the most part, or I get dizzy. The number of times you tell me that this went on for a period of time that you would get that drunk, and yet you never had an automobile crash drunk that killed you or you're somebody with you. You've never – how many opportunities, how many moments of your life – could something have happened? God had something for you to do.
1: Oh, goodness. You know? I There's been times that I was driving. Uh, I, I mean, obviously, I drove drunk every night. And I there were a couple times that I recall that I was literally driving on the wrong side of the divided highway. Oh, wow. Um, not, just, not just over the yellow line, but on a divided highway. I was on the, you know came onto an entrance ramp or I don't even know how that has happened, but I, I, I had car wrecks galore. I, I had many, many car wrecks galore. Yeah. The distance that I used to drive when I lived on the Eastern shore of Maryland, I was driving about 45 minutes one way going to work. And then I would stay at the beach and where I worked and then partied and then drive home. And, you know, I, I, it was only by the grace of God.
0: God knew you were thinking that somewhere along the way he was going to, he was probably knocking on the door and you just were sort of either ignored or didn't hear it. And, but he said you he knew you were going to come around.
1: Yeah. And, and going back to uh, that, we started our conversation is that we ha- we all have a purpose. and. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, and I knew very early on when I wanted to go into the barrooms and yank people off their barstools. going, look, do you realize there's a whole other life out here? Just as I was going down my great big positive cleanup path, that we, we have a purpose. And mine is that uh, beyond a shadow of doubt, I've held on to this, that I just know that God has called me to speak and teach and write about holistic health and wellness. I always knew that chiropractic school was a very expensive path, but God provided for that. But I always knew that chiropractic was just a, a a door to walk through. It wasn't my my ultimate purpose. Now some chiropractors, that is their ultimate purpose and that's great. There's nothing wrong with that being somebody's ultimate purpose. It it just wasn't mine you know, the ultimate point, but, I, but all those things, like we said, with life, just have collected and gathered things in life, whether it was in my unsaved drunken days before Jesus or my life. Now, you know, I was, came across a journal the other day. I was looking for something and I, I came, I think I was looking for an empty journal. And I, <laughs> I came across one that I had written in years ago. I, I used to write my journaling and now I, I, type it in in Word document, but I saw that I had a goal. I I wrote out these goals probably in 1997 that I wrote out goals after I quit drinking, came to the Lord, and one of them was to join a Toastmasters club. And I, I knew then that I really wanted to do motivational speaking and to motivate people. And I took a career assessment course to figure out what that was, what kind of career would allow me that. And one of the assignments was to interview somebody in the field of expertise that we thought would be interested in. Well, speaking was what I was interested in. And there was a Dell Carnegie Institute office in the DC area. So I interviewed a fellow from the Dell Carnegie Institute and he said, well, what would you speak about? Okay. I said, well, you can give me that material. I'd just get out there and motivate people. <laughs> and he said, well, you need a field of expertise. It's like, all righty then plan B because my field of expertise at that point was the bar room. So, you
0: know, you said you were tempted. Did you ever go into a bar and try to pull a friend down or try? Yeah. To-
1: um, that's usually not, not directly, <laughs> Not directly, but I did do some volunteer work in a strip club for a while and just, yeah, it wasn't really so much about drinking, but it was about the God that they're valuable and God has a better purpose for them than that. We didn't really go that deep into it. We just met them where they were and just to let them know that we know, like, and love them. Um so maybe someday when I get to heaven, I'll see if any of that bore any fruit. But we never know if our yeah. seed,
0: if our planted seed took root. Sometimes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And it took me a long time to realize that our job maybe to plant the seed doesn't mean we get to be the one. Because it bothered me for a while that here I'm trying to be a good Christian, I'm trying to get witness to somebody, but I never, I've never had somebody. Oh, yeah, I need Jesus. I had a guy that actually I bought some business from and he would sit there at times he was had a drug problem and he would he was in love with this one girl and she would dump him and then he'd get back to you and she would dump him and he'd be in tears and I'd invite him to church and look you know because he had a big self-esteem issues and oh yeah maybe I ought to do that and then the next day up nope, I don't need that I don't need God mm-hmm. you know and mm-hmm. it's it's frustrating it makes us I mean, it's never made me question God, but I do question God, why? Why can't I get a little of this joy here that, I'm, you know, to see some success here? But I finally, somebody told me one time, they said, Mike, uh, you might just be the guy planting the seeds. Somebody else might have to be the harvester.
1: You know, I had rented the front half of a house, the original part of a house off of this couple at one time when I was living in Maryland, but while I was still drinking and they had added on to the house, they had a whole other house built on behind and that's where they lived. And so I rented, we became friends and I rented from them. She, the, the woman was about 10 years older than me and her daughter actually came to live at the house as well for a while and she was about 10 years younger. Well, then I, I bought, moved out a year later and bought my own house and kind of lost touch with them, just life happened and kind of lost touch. Well... And, and the mom was divorced and she was, I thought was married, but she wasn't just the slim with this guy. But um, I think she, they eventually got married, but she was divorced from her first husband that she had the three daughters to. And they were, they were, I don't remember which denomination, but they were very, very religious and pretty, pretty strict um, Christian denomination. Well, out of the blue, she reaches out to me one day. The mom does reaches out to me one day and invites me to go to church with her. She told me that she had breast cancer. Oh wow. And then and and we had breakfast. She told me that and invited me to go to church with her and I'm like, "Okay, not really sure why, but I like Pam and I'm not opposed to church. I, you know, hadn't didn't go very often at that point in my life." I'm like, "Okay. So, go to this church. Well, it was a pretty charismatic church and they had called people up to the altar, I guess for prayer. And next thing you know, it was like the congregation, everybody's gone. Well, this one lady, this older lady, fell on the floor, fell out in the spirit, <laughs> and was like wiggling around on the floor. And I'm like, Is anybody gonna help this lady? She have a heart attack? And people are just walking right by her, like that was just the norm for this church. And you know, went up to the altar and stood with everybody else and got prayer, but. Then Pam ended up dying of the breast cancer, and it was several years later that I came to the Lord. But I look back and I think, I'm sure my mom prayed for me, but I don't know that she prayed for my salvation. I I don't know. Most likely my dad didn't, because I really had the opportunity to lead him to the Lord about 10 days before he passed, yeah, which it kind of came full circle. It was my fight with him that took me to the altar, and then um, about 10 days before he passed, I finally felt released to ask him if he wanted to pray but i just look back quite often and think i just think pam was the seed planter pam even probably watered those seeds with her prayers she didn't have the opportunity here on this earth i'm sure she was doing a jig up in heaven the day i committed my life to christ i I believe it i mean she was it was her first you know she's the one that i really think prayed over me. And then these ladies that shared their testimonies and that was in May of that year. And it wasn't until December of that same year. unfortunately, I would guess for them, they may not have even realized that they were the seed planters for me, truthfully, but it was at that same church that I accepted Christ. So, you know, they had some opportunity to, to witness that, but. Um, now, Jackie, you it
0: yeah. over a little quick. And I know from my experience, in the 80s when I used to talk uh, we had a men's group where we had a men's and women's group at our church in California and deal with the issues and I thought, okay because I was you know decided I don't want to be a gambling addict I mean like I said I never lost huge amounts but obviously I'd, I would lose enough to keep me from succeeding financially let's put it that way and mm-hmm. at the group the one time the, the leader asked me he said Mike would you know, tell me about, you know, you're like, well, I hear all these other people talking about abuse. He said, don't tell me what you don't remember. I want to know what you do remember. Tell me about your mom died. Oh, my mom died. I was 10. Okay. Big deal 11, whatever. No, 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 no. You don't get away with that. Tell yeah. me. And at that day, this is about 1984, 85, I think. I could hardly say my mom died. I, I was... Under fourteen years old, Tempe Community Hospital would not let you in even if your mom was dying to see your mom. And it was very hard for me. Mm -hmm. Forgive me if I I, you brushed over when you had the opportunity to share with your dad there before he died. Mm -hmm. How did that do you can Mm -hmm. you share?
1: Did he Oh yeah. You know, years before, over these years of my salvation, he I probably had tried to talk with him about God, and he would get defensive and, and, you know, kind of angry. And and I thought, Okay, not not going there. And so all I did from that point forward, was just be a witness to what God was doing in my life. I don't hide that. And I didn't hide it from my dad, or I don't hide it from anybody else. And I think sometimes people think, and my dad probably thought this, that I was judging his character. And he was a very generous person, you know, um, and and I think he thought that that was a judgment that, that he wasn't good enough, <laughs> and so I just didn't go there with him anymore. I just shared, you know, my life, but now he's obviously dying of cancer. And you, you, you know, you just know that he's coming into the end days of his life. He was still at home and was still able to talk. And so then I just really felt prompted to, to call him and say to him, dad. And, and I, for me, when I can't remember fully what all I said, I just know that it was the Holy spirit <laughs> talking through me that it was sure what I said, but, but you know, it was basically, I want you to go to heaven and there's, you know, a choice here, heaven or hell. And I, I, I want to see you in heaven dad and the way to heaven is by committing your life to jesus christ but you want to do that and, yeah okay and i said all right i said well let me pray for you then okay and i said dear heavenly father and he didn't say anything and i said repeat after me and he said i'm saying it to myself <laughs> <laughs> I like, okay. I'm all, and, and he would have said i don't want to do it if he don't want to do okay. it so, did he ever go to church
0: uh, before that much or
1: yeah he did and and he, he my my parents uh, divorced so, where well, they separated and then divorced twice. They divorced the second time. And then my dad remarried, I don't know f- five years or something like that after. and his wife went to church. She actually went to a Mennonite church. And then I think to the Lutheran Church. And so he would go to church with her mm-hmm. and and he went to the Catholic Church. You know, when we were growing up, he he converted to Catholicism when he married my mom. And so he was exposed to the gospel. Um, and he, he I, I there's a difference between having head knowledge and having an exposure to just like I did, who Jesus Christ was. But it's that personal relationship is what's going to make or break it for us. You know, we're not getting into heaven on our good works. We, we only get into heaven by, co- by committing our life to Jesus Christ. It's it funny, he had had cancer and he had to go through chemo, and the, the cancer part, I think he maybe even had to have some surgery, I know he had to have some surgery, and he didn't seem too concerned about that, but one day I called him. And I said, what you doing, Pops? And he said, oh, just reading all these side effects of the chemo. Well, my dad was a pretty pretty hairy guy. And I said, well, let's look at it this way, Dad. Maybe you'll get rid of some unwanted body hair. And he said, who has unwanted body hair? (laughs) That's the character of my dad. But I felt led. I asked him when his first chemo was, and he told me the treatment. And so I had been having others praying for him that he might not even need it, that you know he was healed, blah, blah, blah. And so I, I felt led to call him the morning of his first chemo treatment to pray for him. And he's kind of been used to that by that point. And I said called him and I said, I just wanna pray for you, dad. And he said, all right. And I said, I mean, right now, out loud. And he said, okay. And so I prayed again in one of those Holy Ghost prayers, and I don't even remember what all I said. But but I said, and and you know, I'm believing that he's not even going to need chemo. But if if Lord, if you see differently, and he has to have the chemo, then I pray that you know, binding up all the adverse effects from the chemo, and it just does the work and that it needs to do, and that's it. And, and uh, I said, in Jesus' name, Amen. And he said, Thanks, Jack. And I said. So what time's your appointment, Dad? He said it was yesterday. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. Oh, boy. But,
0: you know, and the thing is, Jackie, back in the days, I'm sure my dad was somewhat like that. I and mean, we would go to church. I've always been a Lutheran, pretty much. I have gone to Methodist or Baptist off and on at different times. But. Um, the, I was baptized Luther when I was younger, but we never went to church regular. It wasn't until I moved in with my aunt and uncle that I really started developing regular. But even then, back in the 50s and 60s, until the Jesus movement and all that, you didn't hear a lot. At least we did out in Arizona, California. And us, you know, Lutherans, we're the frozen chosen. Um, <laughs> we, you know, nobody ever made a big deal about this accepting Jesus and making this. And actually... Times we'd hear people laugh or criticize, but not mockingly, but just say, "Oh, you know, they're making a big show about it." But then it came out, yet there is a difference there. Yeah, but the only way, you know, probably my dad was the same way, and I heard, uh, I, I I don't know, but I believe he probably accepted Jesus. I know a a Mormon woman was how, which I don't agree with theologically Mm -hmm. them in that regard. But yeah. I know, I know she had an effect because she was helping minister when he was mm-hmm. sick, you know, and then my wife mm-hmm. would go over and stay a week or two with him when he needed extra help or driving around or whatever at times. So Diane would go over there and, and do that. But yeah, it was a different way back then. You didn't, I think there were, yeah, there were churches where you had that. That come to Jesus moment, but I think for mm-hmm. a lot of us it was no. Oh, it's, it's like we're holy, we're reverent to God, and you know we don't do all this stuff. And
1: so people think it's just about works, about being good enough. We can never, we can never be good enough to earn our way into heaven. And on the flip side, we could never do anything so horribly bad that Jesus would turn His back on us. Never. We repent of our sin. He's He's righteous and just to forgive us of our sins and. Um, there's nothing we could do to earn our way, and there's nothing we could do for him to turn his back on us. I, I, it would be so I bad. I don't
0: recall it ever being that we thought we had to be good enough. I know there was always something about accepting Jesus, but it was like a form, like you didn't have to go through this. Jesus coming to my life it was like, I believe in him. It's sort of, I think that's the way we sort of, yeah, I've accepted Jesus. He is, he's there, you know, and so when that came, there was a time where I said, yeah, okay, I accept Jesus. But I actually had a, a boss at one of my jobs one time told me, if you don't speak in tongues and you haven't gotten always the Holy Spirit, you have Not everybody Mm -hmm. speaks in tongues, the Bible's pretty clear about it, but yeah, that's what his church believes. So we all get differences, and hopefully we can all come together. But the main thing is Jesus, and and that's a good thing. So Jackie, you do have a powerful story to share with your purpose, and if I do a second edition, you know I'm going to be calling on you. Um, (laughs) Jackie, if somebody wants you to come out and share your story with their group or something, are you available for them?
1: Absolutely, anytime. Again, I believe with all my heart and soul that God has called me to speak and teach and write, and I'm available. Health and wellness. I have a, my new book is coming out. My first book is coming out that I've God's been calling me to write about for. A long, long time. I finally, I was afraid he was getting ready to say, move over Aaron Moses and bring it in. And finally, finally sat down and committed to that. And that's all in the works right now. So to speak, share my testimony, of course, always, always health and wellness. Um, I'm available. How can they get so, hold of you, Jackie? Right now, my email address is, my name is Jackie McCool DC. At yahoo.com, J-A-C-K-I-E-M-C-K-O-O-L-D-C at yahoo.com. A website is in getting ready to be in the works, would which would be McCoolWellness.com. M-
0: all right, well I'll make sure make sure you email me this so I get the spelling exactly right. I'll definitely okay. put a link up for you. Uh, but I hear that weed eater going, so I think we're gonna wrap up this. I think we got some okay. weeds whacked out of the way here, Jackie. Thank you for for being here, and, and ladies and gentlemen, just keep tuning to the weed whacker because uh, that's we're here to help you whack those weeds and get to your success. We all have something in our path. Sometimes you just got to figure out what it is and how to deal with it. So Jackie, thanks again, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in and we'll see y'all later.
1: Thanks coach Mike.
2: Thank you for listening to the weed Walker podcast. If you would like to join coach Mike to discuss an issue important to your life, send us an email to coach Mike at coach Tell us about your issue and how it is affecting your life give us your first and last name, phone number, and email address, and we will contact you regarding scheduling. Coach Mike will use only your first name unless you request your full name in the podcast. Also, please visit coachmikenow.com to sign up for Coach Mike's weekly newsletter. You can also visit Coach Mike's Clubhouse on locals.com. There you can choose to follow Coach Mike Or if you want access to more content, become a member of Coach Mike's Clubhouse to get certain members-only content. Thanks again for listening. God bless you as you whack those weeds out of your life and move forward to success. Thank you for listening to the Weed Whacker podcast. If you would like to join Coach Mike to discuss an issue important to your life, send us an email to coach mike at coachmikenow.com. Tell us about your issue and how it is affecting your life. Give us your first and last name, phone number, and email address, and we will contact you regarding scheduling. Coach Mike will use only your first name unless you request your full name in the podcast. Also, please visit coachmikenow.com to sign up for Coach Mike's weekly newsletter. You can also visit Coach Mike's Clubhouse on locals.com. There you can choose to follow Coach Mike Or if you want access to more content, become a member of Coach Mike's Clubhouse to get certain members-only content. Thanks again for listening. God bless you as you whack those weeds out of your life and move forward to success.